saw his net worth drop Oh, he poured a glass of vino Because Chuck Yates needs a job Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Very privileged today to have Trisha Curtis, Petro Nerd, on with us today. Welcome to Richmond, Texas and the Audio Realm Studios. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Chuck has given me uh, already given me this awesome little tour of Richmond, and this studio is great. And it took like five minutes, It right? took like five minutes, but it was awesome. I'm a small-town girl, so I, I loved it. And, um, you know, we don't film in a, Ethan and I don't film in a proper studio, so this is very cool. Yeah, no, this is really cool. We've got a, we've got a world-class studio, as I've said, right down the street from me. So, first off, tell us your background. Where'd you grow up? What's your story? Like the background, like growing up as a kid as opposed to college? No, no like the background yesterday. Of course, growing yes, up. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, small town. This is why I really, this is a place is like I feel like really at home. So, I have never been to Richmond, but it, it did feel like home coming in and especially you driving me around. So, I grew up in Craig, outside of Craig, Colorado. And that's like. Where's I, Craig? It's an hour, um, you're an hour west of Steamboat. So should have grown up skiing, have never been skiing in my life. Really? Really. But it's a very cultural, you know, it's like cowboy boots, Carhartt, very different than like Patagonia and ski pants. Um, and that was, and we were rivals, like Moffat County High School and Craig was rivals with, with Steamboat in Route County. So, but cl- very close. And some people did ski, but not all of us. Um, a lot of farming, ranching. And then um, we also had a ranch in southwest Wyoming. So like 40 miles straight up on a dirt road. You cross in the Wyoming border, this tiny town called Bags, Wyoming. Literally still 400 people. A um, couple cute restaurants. And my sister actually, so she runs the, uh, the clinic up there. She's a nurse. And my nieces are up there. But we had a ranch outside there that was a 160 acres, river ran through. It was awesome. So very much straddled the border, went to school in Craig, uh, and would spend the weekends at the ranch and did both, and it was awesome. Nice. Yeah. So you grow up. Give me, like, ranch stories. I mean, castrate a bull? No. Have we done that? Or? No, no castrate a bull. We, so my dad was oil field. So it was, okay. if you can imagine, just pumping oil wells. So my grandfather and my dad's side pumped oil wells out throughout Wyoming. My dad pumped oil wells throughout Wyoming. And then when my grandpa actually passed away, my dad took over his wells. And so, I mean, the, those wells, which actually was our, our friend Roger Hudson, those were actually the wells that he ran. Um, so those wells had actually been in the family forever that they pumped. And so, but that lifestyle is different. I mean, you're, my dad was almost, when he pumped wells, it was a serious job. I mean, he was that he checked wells actually every day as opposed to pumpers who, you know, live by SCADA and everything now. And they're, they go three days a week. So did you go with him? So as a child, I should have gone more or totally regret it. Um, but we, we did, and we actually had to pump or we didn't pump. My sisters did some like they did the gauging and stuff a little bit in, in high school and college. That's the stick, the stick down there, measure yeah. how tall it is. No, yeah, and you, my grandfather's was amazing because it was the gauge. And he, it was amazing because my grandpa's was so, he had used it so much that the actual metal gauges, like the nub had worn off and you use like baby powder and you put it down, you're measuring like the water and the oil in the tank. And so I loved, I've always loved like tank batteries and like going up there and the dog would come with us and everything. But I mean, so I'd go with my dad, um, you know, not a ton growing up, but more, I should have gone more. And then, um, but in college, 
because I was fully scholarship to Regis University, and then I um, that scholarship Ma- major college flux on there. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Full scholarship. Full scholarship, totally everything. And then that changed a little bit. And they um, actually, when we sold our ranch, they just decided to take away some of the scholarship and it's a little bit bullshit. Um, so they couldn't actually, because I had signed a contract on that scholarship. And they, um, so they had to maintain everything. And I, but I had to move into an apartment. And my dad was awesome, and so I got this really cool apartment right by right by the university. It was it was sweet. And then uh, come summer, we. <laughs> We have to. All, there's all these oil wells, you know, all these wells that he 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 ran and pumped, and he was going to paint them. And he was like, "Hey, that awesome apartment you have, um, it, this comes, comes with the cost." Yeah. So we we painted those, and this is like during oh, college. Oh yeah. This is a uh, well. This is summer. So I t- I was telling you at dinner that I mean my summers were you know I the first summer I came home from college it was like you are not going to turn into some city girl and you're going to come home and labor. And boy, did I labor my ass off freshman year of the summer, you know, after freshman year. So you're out there painting? Oh, yes. Tanks, batteries, oil wells, all that stuff? Yes, this is the whole... And this is amazing because this is like... Some of them are in right off... You know, some of them are technically in Colorado. And then we get to... You're pushing toward Rollins, Wyoming. And if you've ever been to Rollins, this is the windiest place on earth. I mean, like... There's actually a house for sale there. there. It's like a, a beautiful Victorian mansion. And it's hilarious because everybody knows about it. It's for sale because and no one's going to buy it because it's so flipping windy in, in Rollins, Wyoming. But Plus anyways. it's in what, Rollins, but anyway. Yeah, so these are <laughs> – these are. So, okay, so you're actually out on oil fields because, like, the I've said this story before, but I'll just go ahead and fess it up since we're such close friends mm-hmm. and all. Uh, first time I went out on a drilling rig, I turned to my business partner, Mike Hines, and was like, Dude, it's really dirty. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, please don't tell the company man that. Um, it is dirty. No, so growing up around it, like I I just I regret not literally going to the field more with my dad and learning about exactly what he was doing. But you know, as a kid, you you're reluctant to do stuff like that. But fortunately I did do it. And then he he forced me when we were in high school, I wasn't even in high school, I would think I was probably in middle school, and we were putting like bird nets on the water, you know, the water pits when you still could have them. So we were like tying bird nets on and doing all that. So we spent time in the oil field. So I was very accustomed to, you know, the smell of condensate and oil and everything and knowing what's dirty and what's not dirty. Nice. Um, so when I went on my first rig, I loved it. It was really? amazing. Yes. So, so what are you majoring in college? Politics. I doubled in politics and economics and minored in criminology. And minored in criminology. Yes. Don't look at me like that when you <laughs> say criminology. Yeah. Did you okay? So I call Colin, right? And I'm like, hey, dude, you want my podcast? And he goes, yeah, man, love to have it. And I go, all right, you know, is there anything like I can't really talk about? And he goes, yeah, don't bring up pedophilia. And I'm like, what? <laughs> why in God's name would you think I need, why would you think you need to bring that up to me? Well, I'm just saying, we don't want to, anyway, so. It was creeping me out that you said <laughs> criminology, and you looked at me like it was that. A, it was a mi- I did a minor in criminology. Okay. Um, so hold, before we get to that, so back to the, the actual the painting of the like the pump jacks and stuff. So this was this was like I'm in college, like a junior in in college in the summer, and would go out to the field, and my dad would you know win the bid or do the bid or whatever, and and would would do it, and it is green sticky oil-based paint this stuff does not come off like i am probably the only woman you've ever met that has happily used paint thinner like hardcore paint thinner on my face all over my body to get this paint off of you the jokes would write themselves right there but keep going anyway so it was and it would still (laughs) 
<laughs> it's green. And when you're getting, the point of getting towards Rollins, Wyoming, and you're painting the tank batteries is that, you know, you're spraying these big old tank batteries, and gr- they do look amazing afterward. You know, I there's something that the BLM was trying to do to make these look you know, look better with the land and they're the right color green. It cleans them up. You take all right. the way the, the rusty stuff. So it looks great. I get the whole point. But you're literally spraying this in the wind. It's just blowing back on you. <laughs> it's just all on you. So you're 100%, you know, green singing. My dad loves it because he's like, hey, so are you going to go, are you going to be having a date tonight or something? And I'm like, screw you. That's that's a mean, like, I like this. I, like, I have two daughters. I think green paint painting them might help. Oh, it is a... Although if some dude's into camouflage, <laughs> that might be over. Except it's, it's so hard and sticky that you, your clothes that day are just ruined and they're off. And, and I was so dirty and gross. I think the first day it was like four in the morning till like um till it's sundown and then i think we get home at like 11 o'clock at night and my dad's like you're not taking a shower and i was done it was there was just sleeping and get up and do it again who cares if you're dirty and gross like sleep was way more important nice okie doke so all right we graduate from college what do we do then then uh we bomb the lsat senior year of of, of college so Talked about that on Jake and Colin's podcast without Colin, with just Jake, because Colin couldn't be there. Um, he was too busy FaceTiming someone. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Like, you can't just talk to Colin on the phone. you he, you got to FaceTime This is him. Ethan. Ethan is all about FaceTiming. Really? So, yeah. Ethan's a FaceTimer. So then they got Jake. This is why Jake knows the clothes. I, like, I'm always in my Ninja Turtles sweatshirt because I'm working or something. And so, Jake, we're FaceTiming, and he thinks I have three pairs of clothing, like the black dress and a Ninja Turtle sweatshirt. Nice. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so, um, yeah, tanked the LSAT, thought I was going to go to law school. Um, I totally crushed it, but anyway, go did ahead. Did you really? Yeah. You probably did. Ugh. I did. Yeah. Full-ride scholarship to the University of Texas. I got there. Big, thick book, tiny print, no pictures. Really sucked. So I dropped out. I dropped out of law school after about three months. What did you get on the LSAT? Uh, 47 out of 48. Yeah, but no, our scale, it's like 180. Like I'm a up. little older than you are, Trish. <laughs> well, I don't know what that scale is, but apparently so it's did you really ever good. did you ever listen to the Malcolm Gladwell podcast about the LSAT? No. So he does this whole setup about the LSAT, and he went to the LSAT company headquarters, the people that administer the test, and he basically said, why is it timed? And they were like, well, I don't know. It just needs to be timed. And he's like, well, why'd you come up with 45 minutes for this section and an hour for this section and 30 minutes for that? And they go, I have no idea. It's such bullshit. It is like the timing is the most stressful flipping part. Well, this is really interesting because here's here's here was the setup for that podcast is Antonin Scalia was uh, talking to the George Washington Law School class, and he basically got up and said, it's so nice to come talk to y'all because I'll never hire y'all as clerks. Yep. I only hire Harvard and Stanford and Yale. And that being said, the greatest clerk that Scalia ever had graduated from, I think, Ohio State yeah. uh, Law School. Have you heard this whole story? I don't know. I mean, I know a little bit about Scalia, and I, I'm already bitter that that's the... Because well, I have these stories that's like myself. Because they used to share clerks, and so Justice Powell had hired this clerk from Ohio State. He worked a lot with Scalia. Scalia's like the best one ever. And they interviewed this guy, and they said, okay, you didn't go to Harvard, Stanford, or Yale. 
yet you clerk for the Supreme Court. You're the best clerk. Tell us what, what gives. And he said, I'm really not good under a time, you know, mm-hmm. under under kind of the, you know, the, the clock. I don't do very well. And so that's why Malcolm Gladwell went to LSAT and said, why did you come up with these times? And they said they didn't know. And what was really interesting is if you look at chess, the world chess rankings, if you have unlimited time, there are certain top 10. If you have three minutes per move, there's a certain top 10. If you have 15 seconds per move, there's a different top 10. Same exact game, just different time clock. So Malcolm Gladwell's whole point to this thing was, we have arbitrarily said that time matters in law, and only people that can clerk for the Supreme Court are really good under the clock. We have basically excluded a whole lot of folks. And it was interesting. One of the things he talked about was, I think it was Indiana Law School, the professor, instead of having a time test, just handed out a test and said, bring it back tomorrow. Oh, that's amazing. And that changed the grades. So when when he did a time test, it was one through 50. And when he did an untimed test, it was, you know, 50 through one. It was almost reverse. Yep. In terms of stuff. And so, so you've made me feel amazing because Yeah, no, you bomb the LSAT, but it's only time. And it doesn't it doesn't recognize unless you're working on like a high stakes merger late at night, time doesn't matter for law. Nor right? does it actually technically, I mean, my you know, I have big projects and I tend to crash on like the really, really big ones. You know, I literally just will take out three weeks and nobody sees me or I might get out of my cave in like once a week or something. But it's just three weeks in it. And it the the lawyer stuff was interesting to me because I thought, man, I'd be it's researching, right? It's 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 studying law and it's putting it all together. And that LSAT, that was the saddest part of like, okay, well, I was going to be a lawyer from the age of fourteen to twenty one. I was convinced I was going to be a lawyer, and then tank this LSAT had perfect GPA, was you know chief justice of the university, was like on the judicial. Did board. you do Princeton Review or one of the prep classes for the no. LSAT? I mean, I took one of the, I took the shitty Kaplan class, which was terrible. So this is Um, funny. So uh, I have been in a fantasy football league for almost 35 years. That's awesome. And it started when we were at Rice and all the guys worked for Princeton Review. And the owner of the Princeton Review was in our league, still is today. And so my team for 30 some odd years was called Kaplan Rules. But anyway. Well, Kaplan sucks. Um, yes, and the, I guess so. The program sucks. So it's basically you just you're just doing the test. You're just doing the test over. Well, and it's over. a learnable skill. So it technically yeah. is learnable, but like some people are better at standardized tests than others, and I am under that pressure. So also, what happened the first time I took it, and I knew I'm not good at standardized tests. I mean, I'm a straight A student, um, and I can study my way at anything. But and I'm better now, actually, when I was under in school and under pressure. But the standardized tests are. We I went to University of, of Denver for the test, so had to go to DU to do the test. My ex-boyfriend's in the same room with me, um, and he's, like, chatting me up before the whole test, which is just Are y'all awful. exes at that point? Yeah, we're exes at that point. And he, he, Nasty breakup? No, or? I mean, he just he kind of just still hung on a little bit, and he went to University of Wyoming, and he's a lawyer now in Florida, and he went to University of Wyoming, and that was like where it was going to end up because I didn't have good enough LSAT scores to get, to get where I wanted to go. So I was going to end up at University of Wyoming with the ex-boyfriend. I thought, this, is, this cannot happen. So 
even the Laramie, like visiting it with him, it was would have been a cool school. But anyways, um, go into there and they have a fire drill halfway through. How far were you sitting from him in the test? Other side of the room. Yeah, he was on the he was on a, a decent ways away. Did you get a wink or anything? No, I mean the test? we we I saw him and the, there was no like we we had a fire drill like in the middle of the test. You the stressful test and you have a fire drill and you're just outside for you know forty five minutes or whatever. And of course I've, I've never heard of that a yeah. fire drill in the oh, middle. Oh, and of the by the way, it's my reading. It's the reading section. So the reading section, which is timed, and you're reading through all this stuff, and it's reading comprehension, which was the part of the test I was very good at. And it totally screwed me because um, the puzzle piece, I had a hard time under the time constri- restrictions. And the reading comprehension, I could crush. But that's when the fire drill goes off. Is, so you have to go back and read it. And you're, you're freaking out anyways. And it was a And mess. the ex-boyfriend comes over. Did he cry? No. <laughs> Um, I think he, he didn't do very good either on the on the exam. I was, but we... I and mean, he's telling this story right now on a podcast as well. I'm sure. My ex-girlfriend was there. She broke my heart. <laughs> no, no. no, I think he's, I think he's at a law firm in, in Texas. Or no, sorry, not, I think he's a law firm in Florida and is married with his partner. Um, so looks very happy. He's, nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we bombed the LSAT. And yes. you decide not to go to law school. What do you do? And then I went to London School of Economics. And ah, yeah, you are an alumni with um, Jagger. Mick Jagger, yes, yes, yes. Um, also with with um, Monica Lewinsky. Did you know that? Really, I did not yes. know that. Um, so you'll know, like it's a thing on the when you were talking about your house and how people take pictures of you. There's these things in if you've been to London and you do like London walk. Have you been to London? Yeah, I've been to London. Yeah, so you know they do the ghost walk. They do the walk things, right? Yep. And so people do walk. So actually, one of the places I lived when I was actually writing my dissertation in the summer was one of the the last places that um you know the big murder. What's his name? Uh, why am I blanking? <clears throat> big murder. Ripper. Uh, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. So there's a tour. How, how did we get from Burger to so, Ripper? So because this is the the same okay. tour. Monica Lewinsky, Jack the Ripper. I got this connected. Right. So Jack the Ripper. There's a tour of all these places he killed these women, and the place I was living was one of the last big murders of the women. So literally, I'm sitting in writing my dissertation, and all these people are just sitting in front of my window, just taking photos like crazy. It's right by. Um, it's where you get all the curry. It's um, in in London. It's a very very popular area, and very shopping and everything. And it's hilarious because all these photos were taken. Same thing at London School of Economics. If you just hang around this little campus in the in the city center, you'll see tour guides come around and they talk about Monica Lewinsky when she went to London School of Economics. I think she got a sociology or, or like psychology or sociology like masters or something. I'm not even touching that. Yeah, <laughs> we're well, just gonna let that yeah. one roll. But anyway, she also I met her one night. She yeah. was in Houston on um, I think a book tour, and she was at the restaurant, and I went up and said hello to her. She was very pleasant. Yeah, well, after that, I actually did some research on her, and I realized that, you know, her life was ruined. Um, oh, totally. Like, she, she got all these, people always think she got these contracts. She, um, she all of them got canceled. So whenever she got a contract for something, they inevitably got canceled. So I always wondered of, like, you know, the economic pain, because she had to pay the legal bills and everything for all that, and it didn't go down too well for her. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. That was awesome. Chase, make sure we got that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, favorite thing I think about London, the uh, British Museum. And the coolest thing in the British Museum, because there's a lot of cool shit, right? In they, the natural history? In the, like the one with the with the Rosetta Stone? 
Bingo. I think that is the coolest thing in the British Museum. It's because awesome. we know everything we know about Egypt because of that stone. Yeah, and you, the Egypt, the, then you have a, like all the cool Egyptian stuff in there too. Oh, they pillaged everything, yeah. right? The frieze from the Parthenon's there. They've got an Easter Island head. They've got everything. But to me, I mean, that is so amazing that it's literally this administrative text, but that's the only reason we know what hieroglyphics are. Yeah, it's a, it's awesome. That's what I remember from that museum as well. It's also because it's pretty upfront. Napoleon found it, and the British said, nah, we'll take that. Um, if you know, if you go to the Met also, this thing I picked up at the Met, and this is just me being a nerd and thinking about crises and everything, but it's kind of apt right now, is that if you go to the Met in New York, if you look at the dates on everything, it's like 1920-something, 1919, 1922. I'm like, we bought all this stuff in the Roaring Twenties. We got all this stuff from all these countries. We bought the shit out of it in the Roaring Twenties and then put it in our museums. Yeah. Now the uh, And see, that's what's so weird being a Houston guy is that building's 25 years old. Tear it down. Let's build a new one. (laughs) It's like Steve Martin and the Jerk. I want fresh wine. Don't give me any old wine. Yeah, so we've torn everything down in Houston, so we have no clue of how that works. So you go to London School of Economics, Jagger, yep. Monica Lewinsky, then what happens? Uh, then um, came out in the Great Recession. So um, super awesome, 2010, came out of school. And most kids, I, I mastered in international political economy, which was a really good degree, perfect mesh between economics and international relations and, and political economy. But most kids would have come out and went for worked for an investment banking firm or something in London, New York, and that obviously wasn't an option in 2010. So went back to Denver, um, actually went home, and was literally outside of Craig, Colorado, in the middle of nowhere, you know, subscribing to the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal, getting them a day late and studying the crap out of them and trying to do interviews from my dad's pickup, looking at the mountains and and doing calls to London and stuff and doing interviews. It was, um, I think I told Jake on his podcast, I probably applied to 300 or 400 jobs and maybe got two real interviews, like a, a, a phone, a couple phone calls with Vestas and an interview in Oxford. It was atrocious, like very... Yeah, no, it sucked back then. It did, yeah. The world was going to end. I mean, we really thought that. Yeah, but it was, I mean, it, the, I don't think people appreciate like the intensity of the unemployment. It's very different than it is now. I mean, there service, there's sectors of this economy in this crisis that are very, you know, this was a self-induced economic crisis, and there are sectors that are very hurt. Are any not self-induced? Yeah, it's different in that it percolated throughout the entire system. So I couldn't get a secretary job at Coors. I couldn't get a secretary job at BP. I, cu- I couldn't get a job anywhere, you know, and I was and then the one jobs they'd be like, well, you're not you're not qualified enough. And I'm like, oh, just give me a chance to get qualified. I'll show you. Or then it was like, well, you're overqualified to be a secretary. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I just want anything to get a start. And so I am um, I, I went to Denver, was networking and it just wasn't going anywhere. Got pneumonia. In the middle of this, I think when I went back to London to get my to graduate in that December, I got pneumonia. So that February, I had pneumonia for like four months. It was super. It was terrible, and I was I was home. And then I decided to screw it. I bought a one way ticket to DC in April April first of twenty ten, and uh, one way ticket to DC, and lied to my parents about having a place to stay because I thought I had a place to stay, and I didn't. Everybody kept been like oh my couch is available and then no my couch is not available and ended up messaging just putting on facebook hey i desperately need a place to stay because i'm going to be in dc and a like 
cousin's cousin of one of my cousins was like, hey, I don't know you, but you can stay on my couch. And I was like, this, that's fine. I'll stay on your couch. And then they said, no, that couch is not available also because somebody else is staying there because it's what you do in D.C. And some, they asked somebody from the church, and this woman took me in. Her name is Jay Mize. She's still a really close friend of mine. She took me in, and she gave me her bedroom. I ended up living. She took, like, her den. She gave me her bedroom for, like, four months. We became super close friends, and I lived in D.C. I lived at her place for, like, four months. Never had met. Just Really? Because she went to church with somebody that sort of knew you. Yeah. She didn't even know me. It was amazing. She was such a sweet lady, and she just took me in and we're close friends, and I became like this surrogate child, and it was it was awesome. And I started, so I cold called every energy organization and hammered on doors, and because I totally I totally believe that is not random, that things like that happen for a reason, and that well, you were at my house earlier, and we were walking around, and I showed you green eggs and ham, right? Mm-hmm. The whole point to green eggs and ham, the book, because I I give this speech called I Learned More from the Book Green Eggs and Ham than I Learned in Business School. And it's a funny speech where I talk about, you know, life lessons and all that. But the the punchline is the unnamed man finally tries the green eggs and ham because Sam I Am has talked him into Uh it. And he likes it. Yep. And I always, I'm a Christian. So this comes from a place of Christianity, but I don't like force that or or preach that to others. But I always say the lesson of that book is God puts people in your life for a reason and you should not question why or, you know, that you should say, okay, they're here for a reason. I need to figure out why. And I know I just fucked that whole thing up. No, that's. No, because what I should have said was, you know, God puts people in your life for a reason. You should not sit there and be antagonistic again against it. You should be curious and figure yeah. out why. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I don't disagree at all. I think the um, Ethan hates it when I say that I don't disagree at all. Uh, but I, it, it's don't you punch him at that point? No, he says stupid he things. He says you hit him during he, podcast. Yeah, because he, he says something stupid and he gets whacked or he's annoying. And so he gets backhanded as he, as he should, as most humans should. But the you're you're 100 right like my mom i mean i was really really blessed to have this woman just take me in and give me her bedroom and it was a it was hilarious because i thought what do we do what i don't even know this person you know i was i was anxious because this girl who i've never met shows up at the airport picks me up and she takes me to this this apartment and and the woman i was staying with wasn't even there so you know i just put my stuff in there and then i get that i come back in the evening after having coffee and stuff with this this gal i've also never met who's like a second cousin twice removed from my cousin's wife, you know. And so I come back, and this woman's peeling potatoes. She has a very thick Alabama accent. And um, and or it's M- Mississippi, Alabama. I'm probably getting the, the, the perfect accent wrong, but she's got a thick accent. She's peeling potatoes, and it's Easter the next day. And she's like, so you're coming to church? And I'm like, yeah, yep, I'm coming to church. You know, I mean, so there's really no choice, but so I'm coming to church. And it was, that was awesome. The like being, and it was Church of Christ, which I was actually raised very different in Arlington, Virginia, because it was just a different walk of life for the people, but loved every minute of it. Staying with her was awesome. And she totally took me in. And we, be, we just became good friends. And I ended up staying with her for, for like four months. And I, I lived, I had bought this one way ticket. So I had like a suitcase of clothing, you know, and you realize that. You can live off that because that's all I had for months. And I managed to get a, 
you know, she thought I was a pretty, she was impressed with me because I had nothing and I, you know, was like trying to not freak out, like tell my parents, hey, I'm sorry I put that on my credit card as I'm just trying to get through. And I managed to get a contract with the State Department for like five grand putting on a conference for them like the first week I was there. So I worked through that and then I um, just hustled and I got another contract for another five grand and then I then I landed a job and yeah, at this nonprofit that I worked at. So it, it worked out. So she was Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. You went to church the next day. You said you were raised different. What were you raised? No, I mean, I was raised actually in, church, in the Church of Christ, but my small town Church of Christ felt a little bit different than a... A little more strident? It just... um. I I think have you ever read David? Um, I'm gonna. It's blue like jazz. That guy. I've never read that. Okay, so that author. I'm gonna. Blank, his name is David something. I'm blanking on it. Uh, but he he is kind of an anti-church guy, and he gets a lot of criticism from the Christian community for being anti-church. But I've always read his stuff and kind of liked it because I always feel like when you go to church, you're like shit. These like you just makes you not want to go to church because you see. Well, oh, it's Gandhi. You know, Gandhi's like I like that Christ figure. I'm not sure about his Christians. <laughs> Not a, not an unfair comment. What, what does C.S. Lewis say? That, you know, the worst Christians are the worst prevention of Christians. And yes. I mean, you know, and so. So it, does that turn you off? Do you go to church today or? Uh, I, you know, my ex-husband turned, I didn't, I stopped going to church because I started dating someone who I married and he was not Christian and uh, he didn't like the church. And so that's, that's what prevent, I, I stopped going to church for that. But that's not a good excuse. Yeah, probably not. No. God let the lightning hit that <laughs> side of the recording studio, not me. Although I haven't been to church in a long time either because of quarantine. The um, now it's it it's it's interesting because you know for the first time ever, less than fifty percent of all Americans consider themselves church going. Oh, that's yeah. a. It's first time in our first time in our really? history. Yeah, it's a pretty profound statistic. Yeah. No, we really, we really have the, the church for whatever reason has totally lost its way and lost its, I don't want to say relevancy because that's, that's pretty harsh, but it really has to some degree, which I think, which I think sad. It's it's definitely sad because I think I remember when I was going, I enjoyed it just because it was a youthful, you know, there was a decent amount of youth and stuff. That was the other hilarious part was that I. I was like, hey, I'm new in town, and I just, and my, the woman I'm staying with, she's single, you know, and she has this cool rooftop, and so I just meet these young people, and I'm like, let's do happy hour on the roof, and then all of a sudden, I didn't realize that every, every guy is, like, looking to date the new girl, which was really funny, because I didn't know what was happening. I was just super naive to what was going on, and Hey, audience, her nose is growing right now. I didn't know. What was it? I, I didn't. I I'm mean. I'm just so innocent. I had no idea. Come on now. No, I mean, I, I didn't then. I, I truthfully did not. Um, I just, I did after it happened. After so it's like you and 17 guys on the roof? No, there were a couple girls. There were a couple girls that came. <laughs> Two girls and 17 guys. No, okay. there were a couple girls and a couple guys. I just didn't know that these guys were like interested. And this was kind of a thing like, hey, the new girls in church and the. And then there was like, there was an actual thing, and I metadated a couple of the guys in church, and um, yeah, that was a, it. Just was a, it was a thing, you know. Ah, yeah. okay. So we're having. So what causes the move out? It seems like y'all are getting along well. And- I just, I felt guilty for for right. she wasn't charging me, you know. So I, you know, I, I ended up 
giving her some a really nice card and some gift cards and everything. But I felt really like she wasn't charging me, and and I just felt like I, you know, she didn't, she did not let me get a place because I was looking because I just felt guilty. You right. know, I wasn't raised. You don't, you just no, don't take it. handouts and stuff. So it was very kind, and you actually is you do need to let people do that for you. You need truthfully, you need to let this is your Brene Brown stuff, but you have to be vulnerable and you have to let people help you too, and you have to ask for that help. And so that was a really good recognition of when I was looking at apartments and stuff and there was a nice apartment up the road and it was like 1500 a month and she was like trisha you do not have a job you are not yet getting i'm not letting you get an apartment until you that's really cool yeah so she was awesome and and then when i got the job and I, then i started i started dating someone and i was just like okay well and i found an apartment that was uh, up by the national cathedral got it for a steal super tiny little cute apartment but it worked out really well, and that so I moved out like four. It was four months later, but I had not. I think I went to DC in April, and I didn't go home until July. So when I was uh, going through my divorce, um, literally the day I got divorce filed on me, um, we went to counseling, right? And so we had fifty-five minutes of counseling in the last five minutes. Oh, by the way, I filed for divorce. Ah, okay. Um, so anyway, we talked about it over five minutes, and we all decided I should just go on my business trip. I mean, separation would be good, and I was supposed to be gone for four days, fundraising. So anyway, I go get on the airplane, shell-shocked, right? Sit down in a seat. Guy sitting next to me um, kind of looks over at me. I look over at him, and then a friend of mine gets on the plane. Hey, Chuck, how are you? And sits right behind me. This guy looking next to me he goes, hey, man. Do you know I almost died? And I go, well, we just met. No, <laughs> so I didn't. But anyway, so he tells me the story about literally he goes to the hospital. Something's going wrong. He needs an operation. They're supposed to do it in three weeks. It turns out an operating room opened that afternoon because somebody cancels. They go in. The surgeon literally tells him afterwards, had I gone in 48 hours later, you'd be dead. You know, it was just one of those things. He survives. Anyway, he's this great guy. He's really good friends with Brian Welsh of the band Corn. And I don't know if you know Brian's story, but Brian's the Christian in the band Corn. And Brian was going to kill himself one day. And he was sitting there at the computer, literally had the gun out. And an email came from this guy, Eric, that said, Hey, man, I'm thinking about you. I love you. And Brian texts back. Or emails back, why in the fuck did you say that? Blah, 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 I'm about to kill myself. And Eric, they started emailing back and forth. Eric's like, you know, God told me to do this. And that's why I reached out for you. And Brian was blown away. And Brian's like, okay, what do I do? And Eric said, just go to the nearest church, walk in and tell them what just happened. So anyway, Brian does that, converts to Christianity, drops out of corn, later rejoins corn. He's a big Christian these days. And so Eric's talking to me this whole flight. And I really can't say much because a friend is sitting right behind me. So I can't pour out my soul to this guy. My wife just filed for the divorce, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what's going on in my life. Because he kind of upstaged you with this big story. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so anyway, Eric's sitting there talking the whole time. We get off the plane. And my friend says, hey, Chuck, so good to see you. Good to see you. Call me. We'll go do lunch. Walks away. And I'm still sitting there with Eric. And I turn to Eric and I go, hey, Eric, I'm really sorry, but this has been the worst day of my life. My wife just 
filed for divorce on me, you know, two hours ago before I got on the plane and all that. That's a friend of mine, so I couldn't talk about it. He's friends with my wife, too. And Eric said, you know, I've been flying three times a week for business for 29 years. Do you know how many times I've talked to the person next to me? And I said, no. And he goes, never. He goes, I put on the headset. I read a book. I do work. I go, well, why'd you do it? And he said, God told me to. And uh, so anyway, I was sitting there going, oh, my gosh. You know, thank you so much. We prayed together. That guy babysat me through my divorce. I mean, I was texting that guy at 3 in the morning. And he's like texting back, calling back and all this. And just an angel, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to my priest, Patrick. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, this guy, Eric's been amazing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Patrick's like, dude, when God sends an angel, they're usually pretty good. (laughs) That's the A-team, dude. Sounds like, sounds like you got an angel. Yeah, that's a really good story, Chuck. I have not, I've heard incredible reviews about, and admittedly, I'm going to listen to it, but have not listened to your uh, your priest podcast, which apparently is amazing. And, oh, yeah, Patrick's a man. Um, He's but amazing. You're 100% right. I Although I have to say this, because I, I have a story to this, because my mom always talks about, you know, my best friends in my life that, that when my sister was praying for angels when I was in college, but... I have never got the memo. You know, I, I've never been like, God told me to do that. I've never heard, has that happened with you? Because I've never been like, do, do, do. Like, I mean, I know when, it, to me, it's when I'm scared to do something. Like, if it's like, okay, you tank the LSAT, what are you going to go do? And then I go talk to my professor who taught Condi Rice, and he's mentored me, and he's, you know, like, you need to go apply to London School of Economics. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I get rejected from another school, like that one, that's going to suck. And he pushed me into it. So it's a little bit less like it's not that I don't think I was an intended, and that's not what it was meant, but I don't didn't get the exact wording into my ear of God telling me to do that. So did you ever see the uh, the God movies with George Burns? Where he played God. No. So you should go see this. I know. This, this is, is where Chuck age. knows everything no, about. No, this the- is the age difference. <laughs> this is the generation gap. But uh, anyway, George Burns played God, and I think there were three of them. And uh, the first one, John Denver, the singer, mm-hmm. was actually was actually the grocery store manager who saw God, and everybody thought he was crazy and all this, and God bails him out and... And all this. And his whole point was he just, you know, God appeared because he wanted people thinking about God and the like. And so anyway, it's a really great story. But uh, John Denver and George Burns at the end of the movie are walking along and he's like, hey, God, am I ever going to see you again? And George Burns turns to him and says, why don't you pray? I'll listen. So. I think there's a fair amount with God, at least my relationship in terms of talking through this, is there's a lot of praying. I don't know that I've ever heard a voice, a booming voice on the mountaintop, Chuck, (laughs) please don't do that. That's (laughs) stupid. I don't know that I've heard that from God, but I kind of believe that that feeling you get inside Mm -hmm. where you just kind of know in your gut that something right. I think mm-hmm. that's divinely inspired. I truly believe that. Yeah. No, and that's, that's. I mean, I don't know. It's, there might be a little bit of thing with with age with wisdom and stuff too, but I I know that I've uh, been incredibly blessed with a lot of my life experiences. And I'm, I'm 35 and, you know, if I died tomorrow, it would be, I would be really grateful for the life that I lived and would suck. But I mean, I would be really happy with the life that I lived. And, and honestly, I was, um, 
you know, I've gone through quite a bit with I've been divorced as well. And it's not a fun um, thing. So when you said you're, you found out like then, I mean, you're just like, it's like dropped on you. I mean, I kind of dropped it on my ex-husband, but. Well, you know, it's a, the statistic is most of the time the woman files for divorce. 75% of the time the man says, I thought we were happy. Um, True. Yeah, I definitely wasn't that case in mind. And I've actually never talked about this, but, and I think Jake probably wanted to on the podcast, but I was nervous. And after talking with you and Jake's such a buzzkill. Um, anyway. Why a, would you want to talk to Jake about that? I love that? Jake. He's weird. But, um, I mean, did you see that picture today that he posted on Twitter about sun's out, guns out, oh. <laughs> wearing the muscle shirt? Come on, Jake, make frack, smoke the pound of weed, um, but go back. Well, frack slap was on. Anyway, so no, I Let's mean, talk divorce. Um, so I, I, I think the guy saying that that they, you know, they were happy. I mean, we were not happy. So I mean, when I said it, I got the blowback of all of it. Of like, oh my gosh, because I, I, I meant to say divorce, but I said I think we should be separated, and um, because that's my brain was probably doing that, and then and I knew we should be divorced. But I went and went ahead and saw a therapist, you know, and I had never seen a therapist in my life. I was terrified to do that. My therapist tried to. F- <laughs> She's great. She's amazing. She's tried to fire me three times. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> it's amazing. She's just like this is not because I'd be like, um, I need more, you know, like or she'd be like, hey, read this, read this book, read this paper. I'm like I read that three weeks ago, and she's like, I, I just don't know if this is gonna work. You're a little bit, you know, because I was just always ten steps ahead. And normally, I mean, I would, I went in there and I was like, look, the first thing I said was, if you want me to lay on this couch and cry for every week for the rest of my life, it's not going to happen. And I was like, this is to get this fucking done, and we're, you know, I want to get healed. And she was like, oh great, this is going to be, this is awesome. And she was so good though. She was really, really sweet, and she had dealt with, she just dealt with a lot of women and men who had been through divorce and a lot of, uh, and a lot of. Uh, you know, emotional abuse and everything. And my whole thing was I had just never, I didn't want to admit it. Um, and so once you like figure it out and you realize it's not a good relationship and a good situation, you talk it out, it's very helpful. And um, and it was just, you know, I don't think my husband was ever going to, he was never going to come to the table with it, even though we were both miserable and it was super toxic and it was awful. So it was just me saying, okay, let's do it. You know, this is, this is bad. Let's get out of it. And there was a big blowback, but I mean, he was ultimately, I mean, he knew it as well, and it was it was rough, and then it was just sort of those. Yeah, it's never easy. I mean, it's it's horrible. Yeah, you know? I think the therapist had said this is the worst, like, because when I said I'm going to do this, she was like, and this was like, when I say I'm going to do something or I know it's bad, and I recognize this was a very unhealthy relationship, and I couldn't believe I had allowed myself to be in this, I was just like, okay, I got to get, I, I got to fix this. And she was like, do you know how hard it is to get divorced? Like it's a mass amount of grief. Like this is going to be awful. And I thought, okay, rip off the bandaid. And then it was just hell. Um, yeah. It's just, it's very, very painful. Yeah. No, it's not good. Plus the, uh, it sounds like you had to take the bull by the horns and actually run with it and make it all happen. And I don't think that's, I mean, it's like, Horrific to go through. It's horrific to be the cheerleader through it. I mean, or cheerleader is the wrong word. It's like Napoleon 
doesn't feel as motivated as you were, you know, kind of having to lead that charge. Yeah, so. and it's not, it's just terrible because you, whether you get along or not, you've you've gotten married and we didn't actually, we never even had a wedding. We just went to the courthouse and eloped and had a big wedding party. But whether you're, you know, no matter what, you know, we still have a, we still have this thing in society where marriage still matters. And, and as much as people say that it doesn't, and I've been on the dating apps and stuff and people act like it's no big deal, people do. Marriage is still a thing. This constitution, it matters to have like this thing. So when you're trying to exit it, it is a rough thing. And then you're around Denver and everybody is just like, couples are holding hands and they're in the highlands and they're going out to eat and you're just inundated with this, you know, left and right and center. And yeah, and you're... Now I'm 35 and single and had I didn't plan on being here. This is not where I, you know, predicted life to be. And and thank God because it is way way better than where I was at. So yeah, no, it was. Uh, I mean, which is why I lived in Richmond. Which is why I live in Richmond today because it was. I mean, I was in Houston, you know, and I'm separated and I'm living in cheap shitty corporate apartment with like rented sheets i think you know i mean it's just miserable and i mean my daughter called it the hotel hey daddy can we go to your hotel i'm just like oh god this is horrible and i was out to dinner and i remember this i was at uchi and i was there with a friend and a banker who shall remain nameless saw me and came over to the table and i said 37 to my friend and kind of looks at me funny anyway banker comes over hey chuck how you doing blah, 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 blah. i want to bring my high yield guys by blah 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 talk about this deal blah 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 blah, blah. and anyway all right give me a shout blah, blah, blah. walks off and my friend looks and i go it it wasn't even 37 seconds that the person's pitching business to me i mean nobody cares about me in houston texas you know i mean nobody will just come over and say how are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, anyway, that was the that was the impetus to go home. You know, it was uh, there. There's a uh, so I rarely find it appropriate to quote Bon Jovi, <laughs> particularly not when he's singing with Jennifer Nettles. But they have this song who who says you can't go home again. Mm-hmm. You've heard that, right? Yeah. There's a line in there that says there's only one place they call me one of their own, and that's Richmond, Texas. So I moved back. Oh, that's awesome. That's why we're here. That's a that's a very good story, Chuck. I think I'm prominent businessman Chuck Yates moving back to Richmond. I buy the Richmond house and I'm gonna live there and all. I'm the little shit that used to drive my bike through their garage or through their yard. You know, I mean just a mess. Yeah, but you're like so anyway. it's like the boy coming home. It's a really good it's a good story. No, and- it's, it's it's very nice to uh actually and this is I'll get up on my soapbox. That's one of the things that everybody listening to this should do. Be connected with somebody that knew you before you were 18. That's important. It is. So I don't have a lot of friends from, I don't have a lot of friends from high school because I I admittedly did not, and a lot of friends growing up because I admittedly just was a homebody and didn't, I didn't play sports. I didn't get along with a lot of folks because I just kind of stuck out. I was a super nerd and just, I didn't jive with the popular kids and I just, was kind of a loner and I got my friend, my sister was two years older than me and she was a cheerleader. She was popular and she was pretty. And so she had all the guys liked her. And so 
they kind of just took me in as this nerd when I was a freshman and she's a junior. And they just took me in and we became friends. So it was great. First two years of high school were amazing. It was my sister and her friends. And then it crashed when she left. <laughs> and she, she graduated and then I had two years like alone. And I just studied my ass off. And I, I actually got every scholarship. Every I got more scholarships than anyone in the town of Craig because um, I applied for Because you got one? No, I'm kidding. No, I got 13. I'm kidding. I got 13, actually. Thank Woo! you. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. In, in addition to my full scholarship, the schol- the local scholarships in town, it was like the Craig Trap Club, the um, Better Gold's Community Club, the um, Kiwanis Club. I was not even a Key Club member, and boy, were those kids pissed when I got the Key Club scholarship when I was not in the club. So, yes, um, it was those heartfelt essays of, I think it was I wrote a letter. I think I wrote an essay to the Trap Club on what life would be like post-Second Amendment. And I wrote it from the perspective of a daughter who grew up with the Second Amendment being reversed. Um, I was in I was in high school, so it was just it was a concept idea, but they loved it. So wow. yeah, so they actually in Countryville they wrote they just straight up wrote me a check, and because um, the college was just gonna take it and absorb it into the scholarship thing, so I was never gonna net it. And they were like, oh, well, if that's the case, we'll just write you a straight check. And so yeah, very I, cool. yeah, it was very very cool. So. I don't remember where we're going with it. Oh, hometown, people knowing you from when you were a kid. Yeah. So one uh, a kid that I literally, we rode the bus together to and from. He actually. Short so, bus? No, I'm kidding. So the long bus. Us kids in the country, when you live out in the country, it's like a 15-minute drive to town. But when you're picking up everyone, it's an hour on the bus there, an hour on the bus back. So you're close with these people. Right. And small town, you're in multiple grades. So my friend Eli White, which I hope uh, he's going to have to listen to this podcast now. So he... We'll have one download. Yeah, we'll there have we go. definitely no, one download. We'll have two. My mother and Eli White. It's <laughs> great. It's great. Eli listened to it twice. <laughs> yeah, so, We're going for three. Yeah. So Eli, uh, so Ethan throws my birthday party. Um, Ethan Bellamy throws my birthday party uh, in March. March 5th is my birthday and he throws the birthday party. Eli shows comes and he's my only friend from friend from Craig and it's a pretty eclectic group of people it's the 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 woman who did my website she's awesome and um my friend Amanda Rebel hopefully she listens to this as well and um we're up to four yeah I've got all the I've got I'll name by name but anyways so Eli's there Ethan has to listen to we're at five yeah We're, we're rolling um so um Eli shows up and he steals a show, which is kind of amazing because I've got two friends from Dave Sutherland, who's who's in Denver. Six. Yep. Keep going. Um, Peter Travers. Uh, oh, seven. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> they're all they're all going to be in on this, and um, so everybody's there. And Eli shows up, and we're drinking. Dave's good with wine, so he's ordering nice Italian wine and and picking it for me and everything. And and um and Eli comes in. And he's coming in from Greeley, and he's he hunts coyotes for a living like this is like he's trapping coyotes and everything and he's we he grew up past where i was and we grew up on, we would ride the bus together to town i think we were in second grade third grade third grade and fourth grade together and then you know multiple classes in high school and everything super tall skinny kid also um has aged well and <laughs> ethan's like you guys must be like one you've aged super well and you're really thin like what is in the water and we just happen to be these two very skinny kids from from Craig but what was amazing was how well he did with this group of like you know this gal who did my website which is her name is um Yen and she has this awesome company called XYZ Advantage but hey 
Um, yeah, so they're, they're all sitting together, and I was so impressed with this eclectic group of random people from my life, and um, and really impressed that Eli is talking about hunting coyotes, and everyone's listening. You know, everyone's completely dialed in, and they were oh, like... I'd be down with that. Yeah, and they were like, I didn't understand that, and so we start, you know, talking, and he, like, looks at me, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, most people just don't understand, like, the basics of hunting, and, like, why you hunt, and how you have to, you know... You know oh, if I'm born in the... 15th century my family starves i mean i can i couldn't hunt to save my life i mean all of the modern weaponry we have the shotguns and all that the safest place for a bird is like about 10 feet above me so god god knows if i was just stuck with a bow and arrow my family would be sorry dad what are we eating today yeah but i mean i mean i mean i grew up i grew up with a rifle and everything but still it was just a i was i was kind of fascinated and his stories were great because ethan's like so tell us about when trish was younger and he's like oh man trish was it's like she's nerdy now but holy crap she was really nerdy then so cross canadian ragweed has a song Mm -hmm. called 17 and the chorus is you're always 17 in your hometown no truer words have been spoken. Yeah. It's very true. Um, I was thinking about the music. That, Cross Canyon Ragweed, I was thinking, do you know the Dirk Bentley song where he's like, Ragweed's rocking on the radio? Uh, no. He's talking about Cross Canadian Ragweed. Ah, is he really? Yeah, it was one of his earlier, this was like when I was in college when Dirk Bentley was just kind of coming up, but that was one of those. Yeah, you know, I'm a Texas guy. There really is a different to Texas country versus that crap out of Nashville. And I don't mean to say that, because I have met Dirk Bentley once, and he was very nice. His music is great. I mean, yeah. I like a lot of his music. But as we were talking about dinner, I think this is the cross Canadian. They all play in, which I've never been, but I want to go to the Steamboat Music Fest. Yeah. Um, they all have all these, and they. I think it's Shiner is on tap, and it's all these, you know, Texas. It's Mickey and the Motor Cars and Reckless Kelly and cross Canadian Ragweed and all these guys. Yeah. No, it does seem like, because uh, one time I was in Telluride, I saw Jack Ingram. It seems like the Texas guys kind of make their way through the Colorado mountains. And why is that true? Colorado is Texas' largest state park. Um, well, they, it's Reckless Kelly's. Oh, that's Kelly's. funny. You need to laugh. Okay, that was yes, a but, good one. Yeah, well, Rick, that was good. Reckless Kelly's Colorado song. is our largest state park. That was <laughs> funny. Okay, I'm laughing. Reckless Kelly's song is that was uh, so forced. When but the, anyway, when the snow falls down, he doesn't know what I'm talking about. No, not at no. all. Yeah, when the snow falls down. When the snow falls down is like is I don't know. I'm blanking on his name. Lead singer Reckless Kelly is talking about when the snow falls. He's going to a mountain town and he's you know leaving his wife or baby or whatever and he's going skiing. So I'm assuming this is a Texas guy who's going to Colorado to go to hit the mountains. Exactly. Your biggest state park. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. So one of the things I've done with my podcast is we do a playlist and we talk about music, you know, what's on the playlist. And I think it's been really cool because you learn a lot more about people hearing about their favorite songs, mm-hmm. what makes them tick and all that sort of stuff. So yeah so do you have a playlist i so i was working on this i was thinking i was like nervous on the plane because i've listened to your yeah i've listened to your podcast and that's like it is a good it's really interesting to hear them like when they say them because they say a lot and mine i was thinking because my sisters are going to listen to this and be like oh man what's she coming dude we're up to like 11 listeners this is freaking awesome (laughs) 
My sisters are going to be like, um, you can talk about like Sammy when you were like 10, you know, some random rapper or something. I told, was telling you, I like this. I've always liked old school country. So like, you know, growing up, it was like 90s country with um, Shania Twain and Clint Black and Clay Walker and everything. Garth so, Brooks. Yeah, Garth Brooks. Love all that stuff. Old but school country. Old school country. Okay. Editorial note here. We were at dinner before we came to record this thing. And we're talking about old school country, and I start singing He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones, because that is the greatest country song ever written. Trisha's like, what? Huh? No. <laughs> What's that? No, but Generation say, grab. Yeah, he was also singing that to me, so we'll just say that. But anyways, um, so this song, if if someone, it's like a walk, This when you do this music thing, I always think it's like when somebody asks, what's your walkout song for baseball? You okay, know? walk um, off. Yeah, so... Walk out. Yeah, whatever your song walk is. Walk on. <laughs> walk off. Um, your walk off song. Okay. 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 Anyways. Okay. I that, probably got that wrong. Yeah, you Chase, did I get that wrong? Is it walk off or your walk up song? It's your walk out song. Walk out song? Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chase said no. Okay, anyways. I'll Google um, it. So this sounds, I, I was like, am I going to be embarrassed by this? But I, I've always known. And it's called My Way by Butch Walker. And it's because I'm. What? I love Butch Walker, but go ahead. Yeah, so I was like, I don't even know if anyone knows who this person is or if this is a terrible song. But I, I got on the plane and I was listening. I'm like, nope, it's it's my fucking song. Because if you listen to the lyrics, he's just like. You know, it's my way or the highway, and if you don't like it, you can take it. And that's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, but it's also kind of like a poppy. Like, I like the beat and everything, and I remember listening to that. So, Butch Walker, I've actually met. Yeah. I have a Butch Walker moment. This is like back-to-back, because uh, the pod that dropped today with Mark, mm-hmm. same story. So, I'll fast-forward through it. But uh, Danny Harrison, George Harrison's son... During the Grammys, throws a party called the Whammies, and he always invites his celebrity friends to come up and sing, and they choose a band. And uh, 2020, January, so right before COVID, the band they chose were the Traveling Wilburys. And anyway, Jewel is going to play there. And how Butch- to, to do the Jewel drop? Well, you brought up Butch Walker. Yep. So Butch is. Rep- it, at the time, is producing Jewel's album that she's working on. And so anyway, he was playing at it. He recruits Jewel to come play at it. And coolest, That's awesome. coolest guy on the planet. That's awesome. I mean, just amazing, great guy. I got to meet with him and all that. And my favorite Weezer song, Girl, if you're wondering mm-hmm. if I want you to, he wrote that song. Oh, that's and he awesome. produced that album. Uh, so, this- so I get it. That's I get the Butch Walker love. Awesome. That's well. That's very cool. Um. So Chuck knows way more about music than I do. But what I have to like, I I have think Jewel and Lindsay L must be amazing people. From speaking with you, they sound amazing. So I, there's no diss on them for that. Um. You're right. It's walk up songs. Walk up. Yes. I know. Thank you. My bad. All right. So maybe said walk we'll, out. Walk we'll up. We'll edit it Anyways. out. It's my podcast. Yeah. So um. And then old school. Like it's like. Honestly, the the song Toby Keith is uh, should have been a cowboy. Oh yeah, love that song. Um, but great, then he did a great version one night for Monday Night Football. Should have been a cowboy. Oh. Only he did it about the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, I'm... I should have learned should have learned to throw like Raj and Troy. <laughs> that's great. Um, there's a whole thing on Toby Keith in the book Blood and Oil, but that's a whole another separate topic. Um, so the other couple was like I was thinking about. 
I like my. I was thinking like the modern song "I Hold On" by Dirk Bentley. Um, okay. And it that's mainly if you listen to the lyrics. They're more lyrics for me, but it's like if you listen to the lyrics and he's like talking about his his truck that you know he's like. I still, you know, I drove this truck out with my dad, and my dad's gone, but the truck's still here, and I still got the truck, and he's talking about his guitar and how this, his guitars had his back in a million bars, and I don't know, it's a, I like the, I like the lyrics, and I was telling you, I don't know enough about music, but I hear the lyrics, and I, I'm one of the few people, like, I literally hear them, I memorize them, and they hit me, so it's, like, it's lyrics and beats, but, like, I also like Cartel, uh, Say Anything, um... Or it's like say anything else. Yeah. I don't know that song. Um, yeah, that's kind of like Poppy. Sec or it's funny. Five seconds of summer, thirty seconds to Mars, or also I don't know. Apparently, I like the bands with seconds in them. Um, Heartache on the dance floor, John Parody. There you go. Yes, you yep. know John Parody, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Love a ton of his stuff, but Ryan Bingham is he from Texas? I don't know if Ryan is or not. I've seen him before. He's good. Uh, South Side of what, Heaven. What was, the, what was the movie he wrote all the music to? It's not the movie. It's a show called Yellowstone. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Got oh, it. and you have not seen it, have you? I have not. Oh it's on my list. Gosh, yes. Um, I'm kind of not really a Costner guy. Oh, my goodness. Well, you will be a Costner. Are you kind of like remotely into country all right. shit? All right. Durham, uh, Bull Durham. I like that. Field okay. of Dreams. I like that. Then he got into all that apocalyptic Okay, shit. but this is not. This is country. This I know, is Yellowstone. I know, I know. This is like ranch. I'm just saying. It's like. I'm it's, just saying. It's no. You're Texas. This is a ranch. Yes. Yeah. Yellowstone. Okay. You have to watch it. All right. Um, record year, uh, Eric Church. And so Eric Church, I love him for a lot of reasons. But, you know, talking about like how music can get you out of something. So I had been separated. Not, And I, I mean, I didn't date for months or do anything. And. Um, I think it was like I the marriage ended like the end of March of 2019 and I was a mess for months and it's May and I'm working at Anschutz Exploration and uh, they get some tickets like Anschutz gets some tickets and I had you know asked my boss like he, I, I wasn't eligible for tickets because I was a part-time employee but I kind of was my boss Joe Denominic is a really nice guy and so um he ended up getting some tickets and, and he couldn't go. So he gave them to me and I was able to go with my friend Amanda Rebel. And we, uh, so <laughs> she'll listen again because I dropped her name twice. Um, but anyways. Two lessons. We're up to 14. Um, All right. Eric Church sang at the Pepsi Center. He did this big, that big show in 2019. And he sang for three. It was like a rock concert, but my version of a rock concert with just country for three hours. And it was so amazing because if you've seen him perform, it's like the third time I've seen him perform. He can't dance really well. He's just kind of like kicking his lug around. His I don't chest. think he has to. That's, uh, a good, no. that's a good looking dude. He's but. oh, he's very good looking, and he's just aw- he's just awesome. Like I wish to God he was single, but he's just he's just so good on stage, and he's so real, and he's such a good singer. And he's out there, and he's just pouring his heart out. And I love it where he doesn't break, he doesn't talk. There's no bullshit, and he just but he stops and he goes for one minute. The two times he talked was the best thing ever because two amazing things happened. And he stops and he's like, so. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot in this whole thing. He's like, but I'm going to play for a long time. And the the last thing you're going to be able to say is you did not get your money's worth, which is basically just speaking my language. So right. he's singing his heart out for three hours. And then the next time he breaks, he's like singing about whiskey and taking shots. And he like pops out downstage. And my next favorite person ever is down there with it's Peyton Manning and Phelps. And they're taking shots of whiskey. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, it was it was amazing. Uh, and so he's singing for hours. 
And um, and record year, like if you've listened, if you've actually listened to the song Record Year, it's a really great song, but it's about a breakup, and he's just like talking about playing music and playing the records and like getting back in tune with all these you know singers, and he's like pouring scotch, taking a beer, whatever, and he's like, this is my record year, and it's all about recovering from this breakup. And so he goes around and he's signing records the whole time he's singing it, and it's just a really awesome like. So, you know what, given the amazing amount of money and fame and glory of being a music star, I don't know why recording artists or musicians don't adopt the posture of, I'm going to play until everybody leaves, you know, or I'm going to play until the police drag me off stage. Yeah. You know, I mean, do you do that when you... Do a report for somebody, and eh, I'm just going to put in an hour. <laughs> no, it's yeah. like fine. I'm going to stay here all freaking night, you yeah. know, until I I have to do it. So I don't I don't understand that from because uh, Springsteen was the same way. It's like, hey man, I'm playing all night. You yeah, know? and the fans were. It was so amazing because nobody's leaving. No one would leave. We would have stayed there till three in the morning. And he so when he came back and did his encore, he's like, I'm not here. If he goes. I'm not doing one song encore bullshit. You know, I'm here for, if you're encoring me, we're doing it again. We're like, we're doing this. And he played like three songs. And I thought it was the first concert I went to where somebody didn't, if he didn't feel like I was stiffed, you know, like I was just like, oh my gosh, I paid, you know, X for this. And, and it wasn't even about, I'll pay any, if it's amazing, I'm going to go pay to see it. But it just was like the idea that he wanted to be here as much as his fans did. And that's incredible. Yeah, no, I, I totally don't get why it's like okay we're playing an hour 15 and then we're off and all that i'd be uh -uh. we're playing all night yeah yeah so i don't get it if you could sing yeah i can't (laughs) sing god dang it Uh, i'd be a great lead singer if i could you would be you'd be great at many things um so yeah that's my i mean that's like a kind of thin but those are kind of no that was really cool that said a lot about you so do this plug the podcast uh yeah so the podcast so the Petroners podcast is we're twelve episodes deep now, so not nearly as how how many episodes are you into this? I don't know, twenty five something. Okay, like that. so he's he's doubling and he's got a studio and everything. But the Petroners podcast is a so this is Ethan Bellamy and myself, and we do this every week, and it is a content rich, energy dense, um, and like energy intensity wise, it's like a lot packed into a very very tight tight space. I have a hard time not giving people their money's worth. So this is like the whole Eric Church three hours. I just don't, if somebody's going to listen to me and I'm talking content and I'm nerding out, I just want them to get something more than a high level of like, oh, this is what I think about Apple and here's three seconds and what are you going to go do with that? No, it's really hard. I mean, everybody in the energy business has a podcast, right? Yeah. So it's kind of hard to, uh, to do that. But you do deliver in terms of stats, analysis, all that. Yeah. And actually you're so... Um, I mean, this is something about like Chuck's podcast, which I really appreciate is like, so you had the podcast was more drilling. I listened to it. I was blown away. And I was like, who is this dude? I'm not super in depth in familiar, you know, familiar with the Twitter community or the EFT community. And so I've seen listen. your podcasts have helped me get intertwined with this more than anything. And I the more drilling one and I was like, man, this guy is really cool. This, this is just really interesting individual. And so I started messaging him. We had probably the longest messaging like on Twitter. I've never direct message anyone on Twitter, certainly not for like three hours at a time talking shop. And I mean, it's stuff like that that's just awesome. And his response was, 
yeah, this is like content rich. And, you know, this is the stuff that you listen to if you want to know what's going on in the market. So, you know, it may evolve. And if that's what people want, I'm happy to give it to them. But honestly, it's and not superficially, it's it's very honestly, it's I've never been I've never gotten a client without someone seeing me speak. So it's me speaking, you know, in an event or, you know, investor conference in London or somebody and saying, man, that's great. I need it. And so I love if that's a way to get clients, that's great. But if it's also just a way to interact with people and it's a way to know what Petronards does and, and what I do and what I'm capable of, like, that's the whole thing. And I, I really enjoy it. You know, I love talking. So Yeah, exactly. How could I throw that stone? So give us one, like, deep guard secret on Ethan. Come on, man. Oh. <laughs> deep, dark secret on Ethan. So, yeah, his voice is... Oh, so his voice is consistently like it isn't changed. Like, you know, when you send voice, we send voice clips to each other a lot. Like he started this when we first met of like you send them on when you have an iPhone, you can send just the voice clip. Right. You know, and yours, like if you watch yours, it'll like go up and down. His is just the same solid like block. Hi, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the same. Solid block. Uh, no, I mean, there's not a whole lot of secrets. I mean, he's like, I think he, next time I go on a date and I'm making some progress with the young lady. I'm just gonna have Ethan talk in the background. Yeah, you yes. just just re- that'd be that'd be great. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he does Muay Thai. Um, he's, um, you know, he d- does have a type on women. He is taken. He's, oh, really? He's yes, taken. He's taken. Sorry, ladies. He's got a girlfriend. Um, no way. Yes. How serious are they? I mean, pretty serious. Really? Um, yeah. Ah. She's a little younger. Um, Ethan's, Ooh. but Ethan's a little, but Ethan also doesn't, most people probably don't know how old he is because he's. What, like 72? Yeah, he doesn't, he's <laughs> <laughs> not quite your age, Chuck. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Busted. Yeah. So, so sometimes when uh, our, our energy, con- or like our energy levels of, uh, I drink a lot of coffee and he, Ethan always gives me shit. I'm for, shocked. Yeah, you're totally shocked. So Ethan drinks coffee, and thank God we can, like, match. I like people who will drink enough, like, drink coffee with me. But Ethan needs it. I need it less. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then we just go. No, he's great. He listens really well. And, you know, I've gotten different feedback from on the podcast of whether, like, the dynamics and everything. But, oh, he has gotten some good fan love of, like, I think I told you of he's the calm in the – the the podcast is like a storm. Um, he is the calm in the storm. I would be the storm. Um, so you know, there's good feedback like that. I have gotten some fan love. I got some coffee. So yeah, really. Yes. Hey man, I don't mean to say anything rude to my fan base, but I've got I haven't gotten shit. You haven't, haven't gotten, gotten anything. No, I haven't gotten Are you coffee. Kidding? Yeah, but you have like celebrities and stuff, and I'm sure that I, I did have Sir Mix a lot retweet one of my videos. One of my reface deals, I did Baby Got Back on oh. reface, and Sir Mix a lot retweeted it. Okay. So that was my pinnacle okay. moment. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this was just a. I, I've gotten a good LinkedIn feedback. A lot of people just saying, "Hey, love the podcast, love the content, keep it up," um, and people that don't agree with me. So that's been the cool. One of the coolest things is I. I have been, and very honestly, like I am. Um, I'm definitely more. And I don't mean this in the political context, but just more conservative by nature and more economically. You know, I'm an economist by background, and so I definitely lean more conservative on that, more fiscally conservative. But I try not to, like, I mean it honestly. Like, people have objections on the podcast. I want to hear them. And I try to, like, study everything to where when I give a really, you know, I'm opinionated and lit up, 
you know, there's a reason behind it, and I'm happy to get pushback, but I really enjoy meeting and talking with people that disagree with me because that is actually how you learn something. Well, and you were really cool to come on the podcast tonight and not be an economist. Yeah. No, it was really cool. Talk, I don't think we talked about oil at all. I don't think we did either. Exactly. We didn't talk about oil. We didn't talk about the business, and I really found that interesting. Yeah. I appreciate it, Chuck. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming in. Yep. Happy to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me and showing me around the town. Absolutely. And 225 of our closest friends will come to Richmond on Saturday for the crawfish bowl. 225. So you upped it by 25 people. Oh, I just invited people that I didn't tell Colin and Jake about. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, whatever. That's great. Sure, you can come. Yeah, so whatever. 225. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm pumped. Well, thanks for having me, Chuck. Trisha Curtis, thank you for coming in. Awesome.